Welcome back. We're excited for another episode of Truth Be Told. Tazneem, what are we going to talk about today? Hey, Andrea. Hey, Tazneem. Hello. Today we're going to talk about all the assumptions people make about the work we do and the conversations we have around the Civil Rights Center and around the topics of social justice, race, and identity. For a lot of people, this work is a downer. Debbie Downer. Wah, wah, wah. Hey, Donisha Downer. <laughs> Why should Debbie have all the fun? But yeah, I think, um, you know, I'm always pacing myself, and I'm sure you do this too. Let me know if you do. When someone asks about this career path you've chosen, and I know working in the Civil Rights Center doesn't explain all that you do, but certainly the aspects of what you do that's about sociology, that's about humanities, that's about history. Yeah. And that's about looking at revolution and looking at liberation movements around the world. What are people's responses? If you could give me kind of a spectrum. Yeah, I think it goes from everything from tears to, oh my gosh, how do you do this day in and day out? To, oh, so you give little tours for kindergarten kids? Huh. So it's the full spectrum. And I don't think people fully grasp what it means to engage communities around topics of race and racism in a space that is the backdrop of violence, of oppression, but also of victory, mm. of humanity, of change, and of revolution. Um, and so people, I mean, literally for, you know, I've been doing this for 17 years, and the comments of, how do you do it? How do you get up every day and talk about what Black people have gone through? This must be hard. How are you coping? But then coupled with that, we have some amazing conversations with other grassroots activists or people who are doing EDI work who are saying, how do you deal with the trauma and where do you place that trauma as you are leading these conversations and leading communities to be introspective? What are you hearing or what have you heard? I think the most challenging parts of the things I hear have to do with people thinking to be black is to be full of burden. Yeah. And... I just find it to be 100% not true. I love the fact that when we welcome people into the space, we say, let's challenge and debunk all of your yeah, myths yeah, right now. Yeah. We've had some interesting times together. Yes. Um, I do like to think that although many of the topics we discuss make people sort of feel apprehensive and even seize up, you can see it in the body language, we have been able to create situations where we say, bring your questions. Bring your curiosity. And I'm thinking of a certain experience we had um, a couple years ago when we were traveling together. And in the audience, you kept saying, ask your question. There's no dumb questions. And there was this one woman who was like, but I mean, I'm afraid. <laughs> and so let's set the tone. Let's let's yeah. let's let's tell our audience that. So so we were taking this program and this conversation um, outside of the state of Tennessee. We won't name the state or the city, but we were invited to immerse ourselves for three days in a population that was 98% white. We were invited in to help them lead and be courageous, right? Have these courageous conversations. And after how many days, they were like, I'm, I'm so afraid to ask. You remember the one question that, that we laughed about on the plane back? Was it about Burger King? It was about Burger King. Yes, yes. The woman <laughs> said, well, after you, you encouraged them and they took the bait, which was awesome. The energy in the room shifted. It went from like, I'm, I'm nervous to ask these questions, but here's my chance, right? Mm-hmm. It was a lot of laughter. I think her question was, is it true 
that all black people love Burger King. Yeah. And white people love McDonald's. I think the and entire room erupted in laughter. <laughs> even though, including you and I. And I was yeah, like, we were the only brown people. And I said, but, I'm sorry, I hate Burger King. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I guess I should have said that. And I love way. a good BK Big Fish. Ew. But, you know, she had literally grown up hearing this because I think there were commercials with black people. Somehow right. she said, the people in her family said, you know, black people like Burger King. The other thing I remember was one of the people asked, is it wrong to identify black people using the adjective black? And that led us to a whole conversation about black as an identifier. Yes, black as an identifier. And so the example was, what if I'm at the gas station and someone's at pump 10 and I want to refer to that person? And I say, there's a man at pump 10. And people are like, what's he look like? He's tall. He has an applied shirt. <laughs> so, like, I cannot mention the most obvious thing. But the assumption was that saying someone's black would be insulting to as the, the black person. To the black person. So when they found out that we were, in fact... Like, what do you call yourselves? Like, I think we laughed at first. We're like, Tasneem. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you mean that I'm a black woman? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Like, and, like, can we can we call you black, too? I'm like, of course you can. And then we also talked... We went even further. We talked about the different tones of black. We got right. pecan black, walnut black. We got butter pecan black. We have gingerbread black. Some of us talked about melanin. We did. And then some of us talked about pecan brown. We did. We had peanut butter brown. It's like 50 different shades of black. Everybody knows that. But they were amazed. And so I think it opened up the room to say, okay, black is not a curse word. And it's like, Nor is it a curse. No, it's not a curse. And I think, I mean, we have challenged that assumption. Nor is it a curse. It's It's not a curse word. Nor is it a curse. Mm -mm. And so, but that is one of the premises that our work is built upon and debunking this myth with communities that blackness is not a curse. It's not a curse. And you can only, you can't just confine blackness to one story, one narrative and one lens. Mm -hmm. It's not constant struggle. No. To be black does not mean you're consistently focused on oppression. To be black does not mean all you think about is fighting or the rights you have or don't have, or the revolution you're seeking. I do find that some of our guests, and I'm thinking about a guest we had um, a couple years ago from Texas, an elderly man, an elder, came in visiting Nashville. He had a son who worked in the city. So what does he do that many wise people do? Spend some of their time in Nashville visiting the public library. And who wouldn't? Because it's gorgeous, right? Right, it's an amazing amazing space. Great, and amazing people. Amazing people. So I'm, I'm working at the reference desk, He's coming towards me, coming out of the Civil Rights Center. He definitely looks emotional and bothered. But he stops at the desk and he looks me in my face and says, I don't know if I could stand being black. And I thought, well, why do you say that? He said, I just came out of that room and just all the things that black people go through. And in that moment... I thought to myself, and we began a conversation about all the things you don't see that are in the room. The room is telling a story. It's not telling the story. It's telling a truth. It's not telling all the truths or the the, whole truth. Because all of the truths must be what? Told. So we want to talk about the fact, we are talking about the fact, that truth be told, blackness is everything. That our experience as black people is everywhere. It's not just the South. It's not just the North. It's not just the United States. It's not just the continent of Africa. Nor is it just confined on campuses and pockets and communities that Mm. are predominantly black. No. Right? Blackness operates in spaces that that aren't necessarily black. No. We're everywhere like air. Yeah. 
Ever. Nor should it be defined by one lens, no. by one space. By can't one be defined, response. can't be confined. No. And so I think that when we talk about the things we talk about, we also want people to understand that there's something called joy and that that's a part of every part of our experience. Right. Whether it's about sit-ins or marching and all that, when you get people to start explaining the experience of even struggle, somewhere nestled in there is still joy. Right. There's a liberation. There's joy. There's overcoming. Yeah. There's victor. It's always in the room. It's always there. It's always in the room. Yeah. People singing in jail cells, always in the room. Singing while you march, always yeah. in the room. Sharing food, breaking bread, always in the room. Love, joy, even in the hard parts, but it's there. Yeah. And sometimes people lose sight of it or just can't see it at all. Yeah. And you talk about this idea of losing sight of the joy in the excellence of blackness. And we have to pause for just a minute, you know, to, to celebrate someone that represents blackness, black excellence to the country, to the world, right? Mm-hmm. Andrea, tell them who he is. I shall let you do that since you're already in character. Oh, yes. T'Challa. Chadwick. Oh, Chadwick. Yes. Chadwick Bosman, right? Yeah. He is. He's so much. Right. And always has been such a gentleman and a scholar and an activist and an artist. And, and in this regard, I think that the elegance with which he did his work um, is a powerful legacy that we're all going to be talking about forever. For generations. For generations. And so many of you probably have seen his commencement address at Howard University. And there's a part of it where he talks about beginning his acting career. Yes. And so he touches upon some of the things that we're touching upon also is the stereotypical blackness and how as a performer, you're often asked to project and um, become yes. a character. But once I got the first script and was so proper, you very often get the script the night before and you shoot the whole episode in one day with little to no time to prepare. Once I saw the role I was playing, I found myself conflicted. The role wasn't necessarily stereotypical. A young man in his formative years with a violent streak pulled into the allure of gang involvement. That's somebody's real story. Never judge the characters you play. That's what we were always taught. That's, that's the first rule of acting. And any role played honestly can be empowering. But I was conflicted because this role seemed to be wrapped up in assumptions about us as black folk. Um, I love that line when he says one of the first rules of acting was never judge your character. But he talks about people in the industry assuming that blackness must be told within a certain framework. Right. One of the things that he mentioned was that we're not saying that there aren't African-Americans who have experienced big challenges and economic shifts and um, missing parents and drug abuse. He said that could be someone's story. Right. He talks about a mother being addicted to drugs. Yes. And he said that's somebody's story. That is someone's story. But it's not everybody's story. And Nor it's is not, it the only black yes, story. It's not the truth. It's not the truth. It's a truth. It's a truth. Right. And so it's really beautiful when he talks about that. And certainly like a lot of the language that Chadwick has given us, a lot of the perspectives he offers for us to remember, that's one of them. That when you're looking at us and looking at our stories, understand that they're endless and that they're everywhere. So we are inviting everyone who has been exposed to the world of blackness. And we're calling it the world, if not the universe of blackness, because it's everywhere. And like Andrea said, everything. We want to kind of start 
something interesting. 1,001 things we love about blackness. That's a black culture. That's black life. That's black literature. That's black excellence. Mm -hmm. That's black music. That's black love. Mm -hmm. That's a black womanhood. It's all things black. But it's not just victimhood. Correct. And so as we listen to that clip, Brother Chadwick's, we can't define blackness by just victimhood. It's defined by so much more, right? And so one of the things that I'm, I mean, I know, I know, I know, I know you told me not to do this, but I have fallen in love with Lovecraft Country. and like so many other people who share in my love for that. But the reason is because of the idea of reimagining, reinventing, and re-immersion of Black excellence and Blackness and what that means and the idea that no one Black character, one Black family, one Black experience can be confined to any particular space. That's right. Right? And so that's like my shout out. Anybody want to talk about it later? Is that HBO? Yeah, it is an HBO thing. Sunday so. nights? Sunday nights, 8 o'clock Central Time. Okay, I digress. Go on. But you were saying we're more than victims. We are. We are. We are more than victims. And I'm brought to mind, and I've been toying around with sharing this quote by our beloved Toni Morrison. And one of the things that she spoke about when she was writing this, and one of her pieces, and it was in the late 70s, she talked about this idea of race. And if we removed race from someone, so someone's interviewing her, she's talking about, if I removed race from you, then what would you be? Would you be strung out? Would you see yourself? Would you think highly of yourself? What would you be without racism? Would you still be strong? Would you still be smart? And so Tony challenges us to say, what will we be without this label of oppression? Would my blackness still exist? Mm. Right. And Tony says, yeah, don't you still see yourself apart from the word race? I still see myself. Yes, there is a part of blackness that is a victim. There is a part of blackness that is oppression. But let me just stop right there and tell you that I'm not a victim because I refuse to be one because blackness is not just being a victim. Tony goes on to say that, you know, the problem isn't with me. The problem isn't with how I see my blackness. Maybe you need to look at yourself. Mm. And so as we challenge the people that, you know, if we were in normal times that walk into the Civil Rights Center and we ask them to shift their thoughts and their paradigm way of seeing blackness, mm-hmm. seeing revolution. That's one of the things we think about. Yeah. Remove race and racism. And who do you see yourself as? So why wouldn't I see myself as a victor, as a liberator, mm-hmm. as black excellence? Mm-hmm. Because that's what blackness means to me. That's one of the things. That that's one of the things. Yeah. I'm glad you said one because the invitation is a thousand and one things that we love about blackness. You do not have to be black to love things about blackness. You probably have to be awake to the ways in which black culture is everywhere, right? You can be from anywhere and still bob your head to a good Stevie Wonder song. Yeah, that awakeness doesn't mean you created a hashtag and now you're just woke. No, no, no. no. You're just appreciative. Oh, okay. Appreciative. Appreciative. Yeah. So the invitation is for... Folks, to chime in, help us create this list. 1,001 things that we love about blackness. Andrea, I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. All right. Give me one thing that you love about blackness. You want me to now say Right now, boom. Yes. One thing I love about blackness is that blackness is the perfect utopia for me. It's the perfect utopia of excellence. 
It means black womanhood. It means that I walk into any space and I can swallow that space and not be confined by that space. Blackness for me means that I get to define how I see myself. Blackness for me means that I have a kinship and a sisterhood that very few people will understand. Blackness for me means that excellence is not defined by how you accept, appreciate, like my words or my literature, because I get to define that myself. For me, blackness is excellence. What about you, Taz? Name one thing you love about blackness. I love the memory of being a little girl in the backseat of my parents' station wagon and watching my father honk the horn and give this soul brother head nod to everybody black he saw on the street to the point where uh, me and my siblings were like, you know, Dad, do you know him? He's like, no, that's just a brother. And we're like... (laughs) So even now... Um, and this doesn't happen in all spaces. So those who feel like these black expressions we're talking about are everybody with some melanin, it's not true. We're talking about our personal attachment to things that we love about blackness. Yeah. But we have been in environments where you will see another black person yes. and you give a little head nod. Yeah. Particularly when we were in this city that we flew far, far away to. Yes. <laughs> if you're often one of the onlys, the only black or brown people, just a little head nod of acknowledgement, right. a little bit, I see you. And that's what the nod does. I see you. I see you here. I love that. I love that about blackness. So what do we want our guests to reimagine? We want you to connect with us. This podcast is not just Tasneem and I talking about experiences that we've had over the past six years with civil rights and civil society. We want to continue these conversations. We're asking people to help us create a list, 1,001 Things We Love About Blackness, We think it's going to be delightful that we all sort of read each other's comments and submissions and maybe we'll all smile together and recognize that, yeah, our story has some, as you said, victimhood in it, but it has some victory, too. It does. Plenty victory. Yeah. Plenty joy. A lot of joy. Truth be told, our story is undefinable and, and it cannot be confined. It's as big as this world. And until next time. Truth be told. 